to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast. This week, I am so excited because it is the first time ever that I am bringing on a guest expert scientist. And this week, I happen to be bringing on one of my very good friends, Dr. Jacqueline Marie Furland, to cover the topic of cannabis or marijuana and our health. Dr. Furland will speak very well to this topic as she has her bachelor's degree in psychology, her PhD in neuroscience, where she did a lot of research on decision-making, cognition, and the impact on addiction. And currently, she's doing a fellowship under the supervision of Dr. Yasmin Hurd at Mount Sinai Hospital, investigating the effects of cannabis on the brain. And as you hear Dr. Ferlin speak, you will see, just as well as I do, how intelligent, motivated, ambitious, and inspiring she really is. And I think one of the great things about this podcast, too, is it can also help me bring to light strong female scientists. And a lot of people think that scientists, you know, are older men. The reality is that scientists come in all shapes and forms. And there are a lot of very strong, successful and intelligent female scientists. And Dr. Furland is particularly one of those. So I'm very excited to bring her on to speak on the topic of cannabis. So let's start off as we always do with some core takeaways on the topic. Now throughout our interview, you will hear us interchangeably use the terms marijuana, cannabis, THC, CBD. So I wanna take just a moment to define all of those terms for you so that when you listen to our interview, it's really clear for you. So the official term for marijuana or weed is cannabis sativa. So we do use the words marijuana, cannabis, and weed interchangeably throughout the episode, and they do mean the same thing. They're just different words for the same plant. But within the plant of cannabis, there are different compounds. And the two most studied compounds within a cannabis plant are THC and CBD. Now, both of these are cannabinoids, but they seem to have very different effects on our brain. Now, THC is the psychoactive component of cannabis, meaning that is the compound that gets you high. And that is also the compound that tends to have most of the negative side effects associated with it. Now, within the cannabis plant, there is also CBD which is not psychoactive. So CBD will not get you high, but rather it may have some other effects on the body, such as reducing pain, reducing inflammation, and even reducing anxiety. So I wanna make sure that there's a very clear distinction that THC and CBD are both found in the cannabis plant, but they are two different compounds that can be isolated individually. Cannabis does appear safe when used responsibly. However, as with any drug, for example, including alcohol, using cannabis frequently, such as three times or more per week, or using cannabis in large amounts can have negative side effects, such as an increased anxiety, insomnia, and even psychosis. Dr. Furland recommends choosing a cannabis strain that has lower THC, for example, less than 12%, and a higher amount of CBD, 
as CBD is known to counteract some of the negative side effects of THC. Now that I've given you some core takeaways for today's episode, let's jump into the details. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I've been in science for now about 10 years, which is crazy. can't believe it. I'm very much a behavior neuroscientist, which is just a fancy way of saying that I really like to look at behavior and how the brain produces behavior. I've been doing that for some time. I come from a background looking at really cognition and how, so how we think about things, decision-making, these sort of elements of our lives and how they impact uh, our behavior down the line, such as, you know, likelihood to become addicted and these sort of things. That was really my focus, my PhD. And now at this institution, I am studying behavior, but in relation to how marijuana or cannabis affects behaviors in adulthood, uh, which is obviously a very hot button topic at the moment. As you said, it's timely. Like in Canada, marijuana was just recently legalized. And a lot of people are wondering, you know, what are the potential implications of this? I think one of the really interesting implications is that now in Canada, they can finally do clinical trials, right? Absolutely. Where marijuana or CBD is looked at as an intervention, and we can finally get a lot of answers to the questions that we don't know the answers to yet. Exactly. And some of those barriers, which happen all the time when we're looking at substances that are classified as being addictive or dangerous, as researchers, it makes it very hard to get your hands on them. And uh, that makes it difficult to answer these questions of, is this dangerous? Is this safe? Can this be used as treatment? You know, when we have something in front of us, which can be a powerful tool, what's the right way to use it? Mm -hmm. And exactly. So it's a big benefit of having things uh, legalized or decriminalized so we have access to that. Absolutely. And when it was illegal in Canada, for example, a lot of times people would trust the reports of their friends or anecdotes or stories (laughs) and say, oh, you know, this helped me sleep better or this took away my pain. And that's all anyone had to go off of. So today what we're finally going to give all of you is some scientific evidence. What does the scientific evidence say right now and maybe we can discuss in the future what we hope to be able to uncover. Um, so let's start off very basic. And if you could introduce to us, what is marijuana? What is CBD oil? And what's the difference between the two? Great question. So marijuana, known as many different things, could be weed, the ganja, you know, whatever it is <laughs> yeah. in the street. Uh, the technical term for it is cannabis sativa. And cannabis sativa is a plant that humans have been using for a long time, thousands of years. There's even reports of people putting cannabis on walls of saunas and basically hotboxing themselves of it 2,000 years ago. So it's definitely something that we're very well acquainted with. Uh, And so in cannabis, or we have these different constituents or chemicals in the plant called cannabinoids. And that's just the things that make up the plant that affect your you know, when you smoke it, the thing that gets you high, or which is known as uh, Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, or THC, long name for that, uh, versus also another cannabinoid, CBD, or cannabidiol, that's just another element of the same plant. And as we've used this, you know, drug over time, especially in the last 20, 30 years, we've been developing hybrids of the plant that have more THC content in it. So for example, to get you much more high or have the psychoactive effects, Uh, or versus more CBD content, which are uh, known to have no psychoactive effects, meaning it won't get you high, 
but it will have sometimes reduces your anxiety, can help you sleep, has been sort of linked to maybe uh, affecting inflammation, these sort of things. So that's sort of an intro to the plant itself. Do we know what brain regions cannabis works on? Oh, it's, so it's absolutely everywhere, which would makes it lovely and complicated. <laughs> <laughs> the neuroscientist uh, <laughs> perspective. We chose a great area to research. <laughs> so it's funny that we can smoke weed and it actually affects us. And the reason for that is because our body has this system by which THC binds to. So what I mean bind is sort of like a lock and key system uh, called the endocannabinoid system where THC will come along inside your brain and bind to these receptors to turn them on, which has these effects on brain activity. And that affects a lot of things. These receptors as well are positioned all throughout your brain to affect your emotions, uh, how tired you are, whether or not you're hungry, which is why you get you know, the munchies while mm -hmm. you're high, these sort of things. Uh, and the system is there, it's got a good purpose. You know, we've evolved to have it because the endocannabinoid system helps to teach the brain over time what's good and what's bad. And THC activates that and just sort of hijacks it for a little bit, if you will. Not in a bad way, but just that's how it gets you high. Really, so the very front of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is really important for decision-making, impulse control, uh, ma making good decisions, but also remembering what you were just working on, what's called working memory, being flexible about situations. It operates there a lot. It also operates in areas related to reward. So an area called the striatum, which is essential for like if you ever get high, have sex, eat a great cookie, whatever it is, it's your striatum that's coming on board that says that was good. Let's do that again. So cannabis acts in that region as well. So that's likely how it is related to addiction and addiction related sort of processes. Also the amygdala, which is really central for emotion. Uh, lots of uh, cannabinoid receptors there, uh, as well as in your hippocampus, which is important for memory. So they're really all over the place, which is also what makes it such an interesting time to discover what are the long-term effects. If we're regularly using this drug and it's having widespread effects on the brain, are there negative side effects of that? And what does it look like and how do we deal with it in the long run? So right. Fascinating. And so have there been any clinical research studies looking at, as you said, the pain, the sleep quality, or the inflammation in CBD oil? So CBD is very, <laughs> it's a very interesting time for it because we, you know, we've really characterized very well how THC affects the brain and the body. The funny thing with CBD is we don't know what it does exactly. We know it might, what works on that system, however, the exact mechanism by which it works we don't know but what we do know from science is that cbd can certainly reduce anxiety so they've done studies where people who are especially socially anxious uh, so let's say they're doing like a public speaking paradigm and they give them cbd it improved their anxiety so those who versus those who got placebo uh, inflammation is a little bit more mixed there are positive reports in terms of saying that taking orally CBD, that's important too, like when that you take it versus you put it on your skin, mm -hmm. improve the feeling of in inflammatory pain. However, the, some of the oils you can put on your skin are a little bit more mixed. 
But really where CBD is kind of uh, becoming very popular is a study in psychiatric disease, in my opinion. So for things like depression, anxiety, psychosis even, so those with schizophrenia, it appears to, in high doses, improve some of those symptoms, and addiction. In recent studies, we've been in the lab I'm in right now, so Dr. Yasmin Hurd is the one woman I work under, and she's been really trying to figure out how might CBD affect addiction itself. So right now we're in the middle of this really challenging and horrible opioid epidemic where people are becoming addicted to opioids and it's very challenging for them to come off of the drug. But what they found was if you give patients who are in withdrawal from opioids CBD, it reduces their craving for the opioid and can help prevent relapse, which obviously is a huge stride in addiction because it's one of the most challenging points where the individual has to decide, do I take the drug or do I resist? And CBD appears to really help that. And that's also backed up by animal studies where uh, CBD helped to block relapse in rats for heroin as well. So there's definitely this burgeoning field in psychiatry and translational psychiatry that's saying this though it doesn't get you high, does appear to have these really beneficial effects on, you know, drugs of abuse and perhaps other, you know, things like depression, which we're exploring more and more every day. Are those results from the American Journal of Psychiatry? Yeah. Correct, so, yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Yasmin Hurd had just, the paper that um, Dr. Ferlin was just referring to was just published this year by Dr. Yasmin Hurd in her lab. And they specifically showed that 400 or 800 milligrams of CBD for different lengths of time appeared to have those beneficial effects in both men and women. So um, that's quite promising. Yeah, and we're continuing in the lab now to figure out how exactly is it changing the brain after drugs so you prevent that relapse? Like what's happening in the brain? Because if we can do that, then we can get these individuals treated and keep them safe and help them get back to normal, healthy functioning, which is obviously the goal of our science. Right. Do we know if there's any side effects or any risks for, let's say, both to both uh, cannabis or THC as well as CBD? So sticking with CBD, according to the studies, the biggest side effect people cited when they were given large amounts, so anywhere from that's 800 to 1,200 milligrams, which is a lot of CBD. To put that in context for you, a lot of what people sell in the shops are like one milligram, 10 milligrams of CBD. So this is you know, several thousand fold higher the biggest issue was sometimes feeling drowsy and diarrhea. THC is a little bit more complicated. So the funny thing with THC and cannabis right now is a lot of people who say, for example, you know, if you've got that family member who's like, I used to smoke THC and cannabis back in the 70s, I'm fine, everything turned out great, and you know, I feel great, never had any negative side effects. Well, back in the 70s, the THC content in cannabis was about 4%. Now, on average, it's 18%. Oh, wow. That's so a big difference. <laughs> it yeah. has gone up significantly. And mm-hmm. the implications of that are, number one, obviously you're getting higher off of these strains, right. but also number two, the effects on the brain are going to be so different. So a lot of people, when they use THC from a medical perspective, so let's say anxiety, People say, I'm anxious and THC helps my anxiety. But actually what we see is with some of these higher strains, over time, I'm talking like chronic use, like daily use or several times a week use, actually makes that anxiety worse, and both in the moment while they're high as well as in the long term. And the reason for this is that endocannabinoid system that THC works on is already involved in anxiety. 
right? And so by turning it on and manipulating it and having it constantly turned on, it actually is sort of pushing it towards being more of a state prone to anxiety versus fighting against it. So I think there's a really important thing to acknowledge here where being acutely intoxicated is one thing, but the long-term effects of the drug are something totally different. And where it's a, it's a brave new world even for scientists because we don't know what 10 years of using 18% THC every day will look like. All we do know is these higher amounts of THC are associated with things like more anxiety, more psychosis-like symptoms, so like that feeling of being paranoid when you're high. These things can get worse over time, but that's particularly true in individuals who are already kind of prone to that. So like if you're already anxious, you're more likely to become more anxious over time after using the drug versus somebody who might become acutely anxious by using it, but over time it's not gonna, it'll probably wash out. It won't have any long-lasting effects on that behavior. Mm-hmm. And again, just to clarify for everyone that this is specific to the THC. THC, not, not, the, not CBD. the CBD. Which Correct. That is so fascinating because we see a similar pattern with alcohol abuse or alcohol dependence. You know, alcohol has this GABAergic or quieting effect on certain brain regions. For example, it tends to reduce the activity of our stress brain response. So when we drink alcohol, you know, we may feel less anxious, which appears that cannabis may have a similar effect. But then when we have withdrawal of alcohol, we actually have that rebound hyperexcitability, where those same brain regions, the stress brain regions that were quieted down before, now actually are hyperactive, making us have difficulty sleeping or feeling more anxious. And this is particularly very prominent in people that have chronic alcohol abuse. So it seems that the same effects on these stress brain circuits that are seen with long-term alcohol abuse are actually seen with long-term high intakes of cannabis as well, particularly if it's higher in THC. Absolutely. So a large citation of people when they said, what was your motivation for starting using cannabis? Uh, These are individuals who went on to become addicted to cannabis. And a large portion of them said to manage my anxiety, particularly social anxiety, which is interesting, much like alcohol, actually, when you're you're using it often in these pure social settings. And so people using it as a way to feel less inhibited you know they don't want to feel like they have to have their guard up all the time so they smoke you know a joint feel a bit more relaxed eat a cupcake or whatever it is (laughs) and then they feel like they can talk to people but because again it is affecting those brain regions that underlie anxiety they become more sensitive over time and so it's almost like you're you're chasing your tail with it a little bit as you come off the drug and in the time you're off the drug that anxiety can get much worse and so you feel the need to use more perhaps, to kind of bring yourself back to this point. So now that we covered some of the evidence on cannabis and anxiety, what about the effects on cognition, decision-making, or even memory? So the THC also affects the brain region, the prefrontal cortex, related to more higher-level functions, executive functions. This can be... uh, For example, decision-making, which obviously is very important in our day-to-day. How we make our choices is, you know, the difference between us perhaps choosing, you know, ice cream over salad, for example, (laughs) which I I too often might, you know, go to. Uh, (laughs) But there's been a lot of research trying to figure out, does 
cannabis or THC in the long term or even acutely affect these processes. So decision making itself, when we look at people who are chronic users of cannabis, they show significant impairments in decision making uh, on a laboratory task of decision making, that is so which is can be related to more addiction like vulnerability. Uh, however, in animals, if we train animals on a decision making task, and then expose them to THC, it doesn't actually affect their decision-making at all. But what it does affect is their impulsivity. So impulsivity, people probably heard about, oh, I'm so impulsive. And really what that refers to is the inability to withhold a response. So whether that, like for example, my classic example I sometimes give to students is, you have a cupcake in front of you, and you can't help but reach for it. You know, like your brain, you're not even thinking about it. You're just going for the cupcake. And the next thing you do, you're like, I'm eating three cupcakes. Like, which definitely describes my life. <laughs> uh, versus more impulsive choice, which is I can have one cupcake now or two cupcakes in an hour. And so in general, the, you know, the benefit would be, oh, I'll wait and I'll be able to have twice as much and everything be good. But if you go for the one cupcake now, it's you're more impulsive. And it appears that THC does negatively impact these things, so but not in the way that you'd expect. So acute THC actually decreases that impulsive action, so wanting to grab for the cupcake uh, when so when you're acutely when the animals were acutely exposed to it. However, if you chronically expose rats to THC for a long time, like chronically for over eight weeks, it increases their impulsivity over time. So once again, sort of speaking to these mechanisms, which we've been talking about, where in the moment, the brain's regions responsible for these, you know, sort of behaviors are slowed. And then as a result, because the brain wants to kind of get back to normal, it kind of overreacts and upregulates these sort of systems that involve impulsivity in this case and can kind of go the opposite way, which can make the individual more likely to be impulsive in the long run. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. And just it has so many correlations to the same effects of alcohol on the brain, too. I didn't realize it was such a powerful effect that you basically, as you said, you're quieting down a brain region. And then long term, the brain region has that hyperexcitability mode. Exactly. And that's especially important for, you know, during development. Mm -hmm. So where these brain regions are kind of in flux, you know, they're, they're not set yet. And they're actually responding to their environment to sort of teach the brain how should I be set? What's the best way to be? How do I mature? And if you're using something like cannabis, it might, it's not that it will definitely make you more impulsive, but it kind of might set the brain up to be in that position. This concept, to me, getting into this field, what I find the funniest thing about cannabis research is a lot of the time, it's not as simple as you use the drug, you have this negative side effect. I've been alluding to the fact that, you know, if you regularly use the drug, like chronic use, that can be associated with more anxiety, more depression, these sort of things. But what really seems to keep coming up in the literature again and again is you might not be, let's say, day to day feeling more anxious, but perhaps when you're stressed, you are more anxious. And that's sort of what THC really seems to be affecting. It's not that overall you'll come out and be like, oh, I have generalized anxiety suddenly. But perhaps when you come across a stressful situation, that is when the chronic cannabis experience does seem to kind of set you up for. Where it's like, it's not that your brain is overtly like ready to go, has been totally changed. 
but perhaps affects those systems related to emotion regulation. Suddenly, because it's you know kind of been down-regulated, your brain can't respond in the same way. So you have almost like an over-emotional response. Too anxious, you're too stressed. Your stress response is greater as a result of that cannabis experience. So if you're somebody that also speaks to the you know vulnerability aspect, if you're somebody who is naturally anxious, you might be already kind of prone to some of these changes where if chronic THC is working on the same system, it's setting it up to be you know, even more so, especially in response to something like stress. And then let's say, you know, a few months down the road, say, I really want to try and cut cannabis out of my life. That coping mechanism isn't there for them anymore. And that's true of a lot of drugs of abuse, where there's this hypothesis in addiction, where it is people who use drugs are really self-medicating. They have something where they're very anxious naturally. So perhaps they drink to help them feel relaxed. And like we said, like this kind of perpetuates this cycle, but it also removes exactly that coping mechanism by which it's like, oh, I've had a rough day at work. I just want a drink. However, you know, perhaps one drink won't be one drink. It'll be 20 drinks. And the next thing you know, you know, you're not, you're showing up to work drunk still the next day. And that's true for cannabis as well, where people who a citation a lot of time is using it to sleep and they realize it's beginning to negatively impact their day-to-day life. And when they go off the drug, they get really bad insomnia. And that's something that's so challenging to sort of fight. Like, how do you, you know, address these issues? And I think this is when we're talking about addiction treatment. And that can be on the lines of, you know, of course, in really severe addictions where you need to be perhaps in a rehab treatment facility. But if it's something like this, where perhaps it's not like a full-blown, really debilitating addiction, you can speak to your doctor and say, I'm trying to get off cannabis. I see it's negatively impacting me. What are the strategies available to me? How can I, you know, come off the drug and I am feeling anxious? And maybe having that discussion even to stepping into like your mental health journey or getting medicine to help with insomnia, these sort of things. So you can kind of help wean yourself off of it. And it begs the question too, like a few episodes ago, I was speaking about sleep quality and how things like alcohol and sleeping medications actually are sedatives, not sleep aids per se. So they actually prevent us from getting into that very beneficial deep sleep or REM sleep. Do you know if cannabis is like alcohol and sleep medications where they do not actually help improve our sleep quality? I am not 100% sure. However, I do think because it helps induce sleep acutely, again, I I think it is better than alcohol in that sense because absolutely alcohol, when you have it, you're not actually even really sleeping. You're kind of, it's like that. And anybody who's been like, you know, really drunk knows like their quality (laughs) of sleep is not great. Right. Um, However, but over, I think it is the risk with cannabis is over time, just becoming dependent on it and those negative effects coming off of the drug. I'd say those are the, but it has an important impact on sleep in that sense because yeah, that's leading to that cycle of dependence or, you know, and that's sort of very interesting, this discussion for a long time, Drugs that are addictive, we used to believe they had to have some kind of physiological dependence, meaning like, for example, if you go off of heroin, you're putting yourself into a very uncomfortable, potentially dangerous physical state where you'd be very sick, you're shaking, you know, you can't eat, these sort of things. And people will believe that marijuana wasn't addictive because it didn't really have this state. However, it kind of does in its own way. It's not, obvi- not as severe, but 
the negative side effects of coming off of it are this, where you're, you're losing that sleep quality, which affects your ability to make good decisions and treat yourself well, which might lead you back perhaps to your dependence or abuse of the drug. Do we know if there are any sex differences between men and women and how they respond to THC? Absolutely. So most of this work that does come from animal research, uh, we are more and more uh, looking at sex differences in people. We do have that data in the fact that women do appear to be more sensitive to the anxiety-inducing symptoms of cannabis, uh, which is matched by the animal data. The thing with the animal work is we're looking specifically at THC and not the whole cannabis plant when we smoke the cannabis plant, which is made up of tons of different chemicals that make it up versus, you know, just this one drug. But absolutely. So females appear to be more sensitive to the anxiety inducing effects of THC, as well as some of the more physical effects. So uh, becoming more uh, resistant to pain, uh, what's called antinociception as well as some of the, if you smoke a lot of weed, your body temperature will drop. So females are more sensitive to those sort of effects versus males get more euphoria when they smoke the drug, like subjective euphoria. So if you get two, a man and a woman high side by side, the man's more likely to say, I'm feeling great right now versus the woman is not. Wow, that's fascinating. And it actually kind of corresponds into more men than women actually will report using the drug or even abusing cannabis over time. So those who have cannabis addiction are more likely to be men than women. So that might be due to part of that, where if it's more tapping into that euphorogenic side of things or, you know, things that make you feel good, mm-hmm. then men seem to have, are more sensitive to that effect of the drug. That's fascinating. Then do you think that, or has there been any evidence to support then that men may have more withdrawal from cannabis than women because of that? It's actually the other way around. It appears that women tend to have... So withdrawal is such an interesting thing as well. (laughs) Again, for a long time, people didn't think that cannabis-induced withdrawal. You know, like when we talk about withdrawal, we think classic symptoms of like heroin, you know, where people are nauseous and shaking, or alcohol, like a really, really bad hangover. But a lot of people feel like, oh, I've I've never had those symptoms to cannabis. But that's actually not true. Uh, More research has shown if you are a regular user of cannabis or somebody who's addicted, you will have pretty substantial withdrawal symptoms associated, usually the opposite effects. So in this case, so if you've ever smoked weed, you know, you get tired. So when you're in withdrawal, you tend to have insomnia, these sort of things. But can be very, you can be agitated, feeling depressed, these sort of symptoms. And women, once again, appear to be more sensitive to those things. That might be due to the fact that women are just more sensitive to the negative side effects of cannabis in general versus men. Um, But yeah, also what's interesting is even though more men than women use the drug, when women do use it and become addicted, they do so much faster. So they start out, there might be fewer women who use it, but they escalate their use much faster and they get admitted to treatment much faster because their problem just progresses at a much rapid pace, which is very interesting. Wow. So it begs the question if the neurobiology of how men and women are responding to cannabis is completely different. Like, for example, you know, I'm doing alcohol research and showing that there's really, we're now starting to realize that there really is a big difference between how uh, male and female, the female brain uh, responds to alcohol. 
and also how it responds to alcohol withdrawal as well. And some people like anecdotally will say that for alcohol withdrawal symptoms uh-huh. that they might look to cannabis. Is there yeah. any research looking at that? So CBD and alcohol withdrawal, it was a great study actually. This done in rats, but um, so what they did was they ex- had animals take alcohol and then they gave CBD when they were in abstinence and they tested them on how much they wanted the alcohol, so you know, thing lights associated with alcohol down the line. And just a few doses of CBD during that abstinence period made the animals not want alcohol even like hundreds of days after the fact. Like it was oh, a wow. long lasting effect, basically preventing craving and relapse in the long term. I don't know if this is done in humans yet. It would make logical sense. So, but people, again, if you're using cannabis, it's very important to distinguish that was CBD alone. So cannabis itself, if it has high THC content, might be a little different because again, some as you know, coming off of alcohol is associated with anxiety, is associated mm-hmm. with these very uncomfortable withdrawal effects, and THC might actually make that worse. And it might even be that they end up substituting one drug for another. Right. But they are very commonly used together because of this reason of like, well, I'm coming off of alcohol, then I'll use the drug, or they use them, you know, concurrently when they're drinking, this sort of thing. But it may make their symptoms worse. I know I've heard uh, a lot of people say, well, alcohol is worse for my body than, you yeah. know, say <laughs> smoking weed is, so I'll do one or the other. And and I think that's funny, too. People who I've heard, like, you know, and of course, like, compared to alcohol or heroin or cocaine, like, nobody ever overdosed, you know, from cannabis, which is true. Like, the lethal dose in order to actually really hurt your body is extremely high, and nobody's, you know, using that much. More and more people are reporting to the emergency room with these issues of either, you know, being so uncomfortable, you know, with like a sort of psychosis related symptoms from smoking, high THC weed, also synthetic uh, cannabinoids, things called like what are called legal highs for a long time. So you may have heard of things like K2 or spice. These were typically available in places like truck stops and that kind of thing where people would use them. And they act on the same system as THC does, but they bind much harder and for much longer. So the high is actually, it feels kind of like a you know, cannabis high, but more extreme. And those have become really bad. And people, so people who have no history of psychosis would walk in with an acute psychotic episode, even from one dose of these synthetic cannabinoids. So even though you might not die from a dose here, there are really serious implications, I think, on people's mental health and using so much where you do end up in an ER. And that's, you know, that's no joke, right? Like we're talking about people who are in the ER and then referred to a you know psychiatry unit for several days to try and recover from this sort of drug-induced psychosis. So I think that's something to be aware of for sure. Do we know any signs or symptoms or the type of person that might be predisposed to having these psychotic episodes as a result of is it more? Is, I would assume it's more specific to the synthetic yeah. cannabinoids, and THC is less common to see this, but it still exists. So that was true, and actually nowadays, and this is not meant to be like fear mongering, but as so I said, like on on average, street cannabis is eighteen percent THC, but there's strains in you know places where it's recreational, like Colorado, that are thirty to thirty three percent THC. Oh wow! And also dabs. So dab, dabs are basically where you have pure THC oil or about 90 plus percent THC. 
And in these cases, individuals certainly are having more of that psychotic like state. So those who are most likely to experience that or, you know, where this actually initiates a more prolonged psychosis like state. So people who you may have heard that THC is related to developing schizophrenia per se. So that's like a really, that's been a really big question in the field for a very long time. And there's definitely a relationship between higher THC and cannabis and schizophrenia, but that's more in people who are predisposed. So if you have that history in your family of psychosis disorders or so like schizophrenia, you are more, probably more likely to have that kind of reaction. That's not true for spice though. Actually the synthetic cannabinoids can in cause these symptoms and syndromes in people who have no history whatsoever to the point where physicians now in the psychiatry field of like these psychiatry ERs have termed it what's called spiceophrenia because people who are presenting and you can't detect it in their blood, it's really hard to sort of see the synthetic cannabinoids and they are reporting in with these really intense psychotic-like states that persist for a very long time and are extremely difficult to treat. And then how about those that are younger, like less than 25, where their brain is not fully developed? Are they more prone to seeing negative effects? Or what is your recommendation in that? That's a great question. And I get this a lot where people say, you know, it's such a divided time for cannabis because people who are adults, they say, I use it, I feel fine. And I think that's very true. And I think for a lot of people, you can use it. And as long as you watch how much you use and, you know, monitor how you feel when you're using it, you will be fine. There's not going to be these massive down, you know, down the road effects. But because the brain is developing when we're younger, uh, particularly, so there's two times where cannabis is really commonly used during development. The first one of those is actually prenatally or when women are pregnant. 20% of Americans believe it's safe for pregnant women to use cannabis for like their nausea or pain during pregnancy. And among those who use marijuana, that goes up to 40%. So a lot of people believe it's totally safe to use. And amongst all of the drugs that pregnant women do use, cannabis makes up about 80%. So it's definitely, if they're using drugs, it's likely to be weed. But unfortunately, the downstream effect of that is those children are more likely to be developmentally delayed have cognitive problems and are more prone to things like anxiety, depression, and addiction in adulthood. And we've done those studies where we can see, even in the fetal brain, how in utero cannabis exposure changes the brain and kind of sets it up for addiction, which is pretty intense. So pregnant ladies, yeah. <laughs> you know, try and like definitely speak to a physician. This is something that's really important. Uh, and, you know, just be very much aware that there are long-term effects on the baby. The second main period is adolescence, which a lot of us, that's when we first come across weed is when we're teenagers. And whether that's at a party, you know, somebody's using it and you give it a puff or whatever. And there's a little bit of new data that shows even one exposure might have impacts on cognition when you're older. However, I think more research is definitely needed on that to continue. But what's become more and more clear is how much you use. So if you're a regular user when you're a teenager, and if you're younger, the more cannabis you use is associated with increased rates of addiction, especially to cannabis, increased rates of uh, psychosis and anxiety and depression. You're fivefold more likely to become depressed as an adult if you're regularly using cannabis as a teenager. So my advice to those kids out there who want to use it, you know, and, you know, 
I'm guilty as charged. I'm not going to lie. That's how I came across cannabis in my life first. And is find, again, a strain that is high CBD content, like if you're going to be using it, and try and get low THC. I'm talking like at least 12% and below, like if you can find it. And now it's funny in the areas like Canada, that's now true. You know, you can begin to assess these things. And also just don't use it regularly. You know, if you're going to be using it, I'm talking like even once a week might be a little too much. Like try and not use it. And the last thing I would say is if you can wait, just wait till you're 25. Right. (laughs) When your brain is particularly your prefrontal cortex, which is the last part of our brain to mature and develop fully, it just gives it that time to do its thing. And then you're more protected against these symptoms. And yeah, I think especially with increased rates of cannabis use disorder or cannabis addiction, there's this an amazing stat that says for every year you delay, your percentage of uh, likelihood to become addicted drops down by like 10% one study showed. So it was like from the age of 14 on, if you just wait one more year, your likelihood to become addicted to cannabis drops by 10%. So oh, it really wow. is very powerful. And the biggest predictor, other than being male, of becoming addicted to cannabis was age of use when they first started using. So if you're under the age of 16, typically, you're just more likely to become addicted. I think that's something to be aware of. Wow, that's a really good piece of information yeah. right there. That I think a lot of people aren't aware of it because they think, let's well, legalize, yeah. it means it's safe, and that I can use it, but they don't realize the effects it can be having on their brain. And people think, well, at 18 years old in, in Canada or everywhere, you think, I'm an adult at 18. Yep, you know, exactly. But it's your brain is not fully there yet. <laughs> it's not there yet. Yeah. It's still cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not until you're 25. <laughs> if, you, if you can, you know, and if you're going to use it again, just use it sparingly. And, or also just be aware of your use. I think knowledge is power. It's the same for any other drug, in my opinion, alcohol included. If you find yourself needing to use alcohol to relax, you're probably reaching a tipping point where you're crossing over from use to abuse. So can you speak more to the effects of CBD and THC together? Because obviously people are consuming cannabis, the whole plant, more often, which contains both THC and CBD. But what's really interesting about the two is CBD appears to counteract effects of THC. So for a long time, THC and CBD contents in cannabis were kind of one-to-one ratio. Now it's uh, you know easily 10 to one or more of THC to CBD. So CBD content has dropped down significantly. But if you bring CBD back into the plant, all those ang- anxious effects or you know paranoid effects are much more, they're, they're reduced when you have CBD present. Uh, so we know from that that CBD is acting on the same brain regions and is sort of helping to counteract THC's negative effects. So that is one suggestion I would definitely have to people is if you really want to smoke it, get a good plant with high CBD content. It's less likely to make you feel anxious, which is just good if you're wanting to have a nice high. But also it means that it's just hope it hopefully will counteract any negative effects that you'll have if you're coming off of it or, you know, just being aware of like, that's just a better strain to pursue. So uh, the higher the CBD content with your THC, the better. But to me, that's in general, just a good choice to make. So that is a wrap, my People Scientist Army of part one on the episode of Cannabis and Our Health. Dr. Furland and I are very excited for the future of cannabis research with the legalization or decriminalization In several countries, now we can start to conduct more clinical research to really find the answers to a lot of our questions. Dr. Furland gave some great 
insight today. For example, showing that CBD can help reduce alcohol and heroin withdrawal and reduce rates of relapse. We also noted that high THC or regular or chronic use of cannabis does have some negative side effects. And so to be cautious, and in particular to choose a lower THC strain. Next week, we are going to cover more information about cannabis, including its effects on sleep, its effects on neurological diseases and neurodegenerative diseases, as well as the effect of cannabis on inflammation and pain. Dr. Fruin will also give us some more insights and tips on how to safely use cannabis. So make sure to tune in next week on the People Scientist podcast. I hope you all have a super healthy week and we will meet you back here in the same time and the same place next Sunday. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.